Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is the 16th of April, 2018. I hope it hasn't been too taxing for you. And this is episode 233. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. On this week's show, we'll talk to Brett Hollander of WBAL about the Orioles, about sadness, and about his new gig. And we'll also skip our second segment because who really wants to hear about the Orioles for a full hour this week? And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what is on your lips this week? I have a gin and tonic with Hendrix gin and some uh, friendly chopped cucumbers uh, adorning this glass. You know that I applaud that. But Scott, I'm taken aback because I, too, have a gin and tonic this week. However, I am drinking the uh, gunpowder Irish gin that we spoke about previously. And, you know, depending on how this show goes. So that's what happens if an Irishman falls off of the like, gunpowder falls. You get a, a gunpowder uh, Irish gin. You know, it's got a goat on the front. And so. Don't know what that never, means. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, if you are interested in what's going on with us. You feel free to drink with us socially on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. And I'm at MEGN8606. And with that. I apologize to all those who basically had to listen to us discuss our drinks, but it's time we go ahead and check out the medical wing. Afraid of getting subtweeted in other podcast reviews? Meh, don't really care. <laughs> I like my gin. Just like a goat going down a waterfall. No? No. All right, medical way. It's better to steal the goat. Never mind. So Zach Burton still hurt. Um, Mark Trumbo was, I guess, somewhat um, a little bit of a story this week. Uh, backed off his rehab assignment. Claims he's not behind schedule, but basically said he's not ahead of schedule either. Uh, said the pain he felt on Tuesday was not as bad as the initial injury. This all sounds really bad. You know what it sounds like? What's that? Meh. Are you looking forward to being disappointed by Mark Trumbo the way you're disappointed by whoever else is in the lineup now? Here's what I'll say is I think I'd rather see Mark Trumbo in the lineup right now than Chris Davis. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. Why is it not going to happen? Because that's not an or situation. Sure we have enough money sunk into Chris Davis that it's just not – he's not going to get benched. Um, he's already been benched. Not on a regular basis. No, like on a semi-regular basis. I don't see it happening. Okay. I think he takes at bats away from Alvarez and Valencia. Uh, one of those is going to be gone. Well, certainly. So right. at bats, but yeah, I, I think that's the solution. Okay. Uh, Gabriel Noah, of course, is out still. Kobe Rasmus is still wow. out. Uh, Jonathan Scope um, out with an oblique injury now. Uh, coincide with the need to bring up Cobb. Um, Jake, you've got here in the show notes. Is this a possible pothole? To which I scream, "No! You, there's no chance that Jonathan Scope." is sent down to the DL to uh, get Alex Cobb onto the roster. This makes no sense as a potential pothole. Uh, why would the team take one of their top five best players and say, yeah, we really don't need them? Because I was trying to generate hashtag content. Uh, well, if we're going to generate hashtag content, why don't we go to 280 characters or less for this week on the Twitters? All right, I'm going to start out with some beef. And my beef is with a good friend of the program, Matt Taylor of The Roar from 34. Matt Taylor! Matt Taylor came on this program and announced his retirement from blogging. He did. He said that he was shuttering the blog. He was like, today, 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 I consider myself a fleeest blogger in the face of land. This was one of our favorite blogs. I loved going to The Roar from 34. And so after having announced his retirement, I stopped checking his site until today. Today? Uh, yeah. yeah. 3.30 p.m. today, in fact, where he tweeted this. Matt Taylor, at Roar from 34. Here's a crazy Orioles fact that I wasn't aware of until writing my most recent post. The 1954 Orioles had a winning record 2-1 and one after their home opener. The O's wouldn't have a winning record again until three years later after opening day in 1957. That's a really interesting fact, but more interesting fact is that there's content on the Roar from 34. There's a couple blog posts from March and April of 2018. Matt, 
you done us wrong. I mean, here's the thing. We we know Matt loves Orioles history, and we also know that Matt loves pancakes. So clearly, he is just, you know, emanating Jim Palmer and trying a massive comeback, coming out of retirement, making a massive comeback, and uh, saying, I'm going to give it the good old heave-ho out there for uh, Birdland Blogosphere. He's also never given up a Grand Slam in never, Major League Baseball. Never given up a Grand Slam, no. Matt, welcome back. I will write. I will read anything you write. I hope you do not have a, a Grand Slam hit off for you by Chris Wallace and makes you retire. Um, this next week goes into the co-sign category. It comes from Orioles Fan Probs. Um, and it goes as follows. Look, man, I like Chris Tillman. I'm sure he's a nice guy. But I never want to have him pitch in an Orioles game ever again. Incorrect on this one, though, on one aspect. I would like to see him pitch in an Orioles game once again, but I want him to be pitching for the opposite team so the Orioles can hit off of him. Fair enough. Here's a tweet for which I had the very same, very same reaction. This is from Justin Fenton, who, of course, tweets at Justin underscore Fenton. I've had a wonderful day and yet still decided to turn on an Orioles game today. Started by Chris Tillman. Yeah, know how that feels. I know how that feels. It ruins... Ruins a day quickly. Next week goes into the Hello Darkness, my old friend. And we're singing on Bird's Eye View again. It's that kind of season. And it's appropriate because it's Utah Street Report at Utah ST Report. Probably Derek Arnold posting this because it has uh, some uh, advanced statistics and he loves those nerdy stats now. Uh, the Orioles are 27th Major League Baseball in runs per game at 3.19. Only Cincinnati 2.9, Kansas City 3.0, and San Francisco 3.1 are up worse. Alvarez, 206, Manny, 156, Trey, 112, Cisco, 106, are the only players with rated wins created plus over 100. Next highest is Craig Gentry at 76. Yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Yuck. All right. Now, here's a fact from the Twitters, which is big, if true. Uh, This is... This comes from Eric Arditi at Barstool RDT. I'm so happy the Orioles finally have an ace. I love Bundy. Scotty, Ouch. is it too soon? Knock is it too soon wood. to use the word that rhymes with mace? Mm, I think it's way too soon for that. All right. I, I, I hope that I'm so happy the Orioles finally have an ace. I hope someday to be so happy that the Orioles finally have an ace. But while I'm busy splitting hairs here, Bunny's been really fun yeah, to watch. Really fun to watch. Hey, Jake, let me ask you a question. How long will this record last? Uh, this tweet comes from Rich Dubroff, MLB, at Rich Dubroff, MLB. Uh, hashtag Orioles struck out 14 times. They're high for a nine-inning game. So the question is, will the Orioles have more than 14 uh, strikeouts in a, in a nine-inning game for the rest of the season? Yes. I think that sounds like a great wild card when we get desperate oh, for future uh, fantasy ball. So I'm I'm going to decline to answer because I, I don't want to tip my hand for later on in the season. All right. All right. I see what you're going with there. All right. Cool. Great. Awesome. Um so what are we going to talk about tonight? Everything is absolutely horrible right now for the Baltimore Orioles. Look, I think that we need to put aside the hackery that usually happens on this program. We need to bring in a professional, somebody who can who can talk for a living, Matt somebody Taylor? who knows sports, oh, no. somebody who's connected to this team and this community. Let's uh, let's talk to somebody who can fix this podcast. Orioles fans will know our next guest from the Brett Hollander show, as well as the show that was at one point called Sportsline. Brett is uh, leaving the evening to go to a brand new daytime show that will expand beyond the world of sports, uh, and he's consented to come and waste a few minutes here with us at Bird's Eye View. Brett, thanks so much. Guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Before we go any further, the most important question we will ask you uh, will come at the end. And so the second most important question is this. Brett Hollander, what is your drink of the week? Drink of the week? I've been enjoying the uh, Raven Special Lager recently. Um, it's you know pretty good local beer, and they have a couple of good ones. Uh, I actually walked back to my fridge for some real-time play-by-play here. But it's the uh, Special Lager is uh, you know it's a almost egg round pole on it um and it has a blue cap they have a you know a couple different ones in ipa but i really enjoy the special lager um 
I've been doing it for a while. I don't know if I'll be drinking in the springtime when we really get into it, but it's uh, this time of year is really good. Nice malty finish with that beer. Very, very good yeah, beer. Yeah, I, I, I really like the special lager. I mean, I like all their stuff, but I think that one's really their best one. I completely agree with you. Very nice age to it, basically. So, Brett, you've mm-hmm. been at this a lot longer than we have. Our show started right before 2012 season. Um, and how do you go on the air, especially do, during this recent funk that the Orioles are in, and basically talk about a losing team night after night, especially during the dark ages of Orioles baseball. Um, how do you basically get the aspect of, okay, I have to draw my listeners listeners in and talk about bad baseball um, out there um, when these instances are happening? Well, I think uh, living through those 14 years of losing, I have the perspective of those 14 years. So to me, it's all relative. And even now, uh, I don't care what people say the attendance was, last week against Toronto. I mean, just looking at the Twitter wagon, the overall antenna and interest of Orioles baseball is still way higher now than it was in the backs five or six years of those 14 years of losing. And I think there are a lot of things in play with the fan base, but when you have that run and then you have five years of really competitive baseball, three playoff appearances, a division title, uh, a lot of great moments, a lot of great all-star caliber seasons and just, you know, really an interesting storyline night after night. You can kind of compartmentalize it. Um, as far as what's going on now, I, I think there's nothing worse if this is heading towards, you know, a Preakness day where your team's long out of it. But it's not going to be for lack of good storylines uh, where, I mean, I think the direction of the franchise is pretty much at stake over the next few months. Uh, when you're talking about Buck, Duquette, Machado, Jones, etc. So, uh, and then, then you're going to reach a point here, which I think a lot of fans would be excited about, which is, um, you know, perhaps seeing in the not too distant future guys like Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes and Chance Cisco and a handful of guys like that all, you know, pretty much playing every day. I mean, I'm not saying that's where it's necessarily going right now, but it could. Sure. Uh, on last week's episode, we, we tried not to be negative or acerbic. We tried to take a positive tone, right, and filled our glasses half full of orange Kool-Aid. Sure. So aside from the obvious choice, which is Dylan Bundy, I'm going to rob you of that. What positives can you take from the Orioles right now? Uh, Trey Mancini is, I think, the best hitter on the team, and that includes Manny Machado. Pure hitter, I think. It doesn't matter the weather. It doesn't matter where he bats in the lineup. It doesn't matter what any it is or what the score is. Mancini is a ball player for one, and he's a hitter. And the fact that he's in his second season, you know, I'm not saying he's one of those guys who I think he's going to develop into a 35 home run guy and hit 330, but he can. He's everything pretty much the rest of the lineup isn't. He sprays the ball around. He works at bats. I mean, he's not going to be. I don't think a 400 OBP guy. But he, he'll, I think, be a consistent you know, 350-plus guy. I don't think he's going to leave the universe in strikeouts. Uh, and, and just you can't pin him down defensively into a specific shift or anything else. I mean, and you see the base hits pay off that way. I mean, it's added so much to his overall uh, batting average. And I really get excited about Trey Mancini, mostly because of his age. He's under club control for a while. I think when Trey Mancini's all done – uh, we'll probably see a statistical output, uh, maybe a tick below uh, what Nick Markakis did here for a long time, which is someone who's a you know complete stat stuffer and you know someone who I'll say right now I think Trey Mancini is going to have to be Orioles Hall of Fame one day if he stays healthy. Uh, I just look at his age and what he's already doing, but uh, you know it's not it's it's bad right now, and I, I totally get you know when you're five and eleven, you're five and eleven, and they're not hitting and they're not really that sharp to, defensively. Uh, the bullpen will be fine. I think there's these overarching concerns of things, but like one thing I'll tell you guys, think about this for a second. I could probably tell you right now what the Orioles rotation will be when they line it up in 2019. And how often can, could you have said that it will probably be Bundy, Gosman, Cobb, Harvey. And if they don't trade Casher, who will have, I'm sure a lot of deadline value because he's under control for next season, uh, probably Casher. And that's not that bad. In fact, it has some high end potential. So it's not as bad as it seems. There's enough prospects, and, and there's certainly some exciting pitching things happening when you look at Bundy and Harvey and, and even Gosman hasn't been that bad so far, where it really isn't as bad as it, as it seems with the 5-11 and record. 
Sure. And, and I think that you're right about the rotation, having the opportunity to be good in the future. But keep in mind, during the Dark Ages, we could tell you what the rotation was going to look like in two to three years, because that's what we were being sold, right? We were being sold on the Hayden Pens and the Brian Mattises and the Jake sure. Ariettas and all that. So I hear you, and I'm with you, and I, and I hope you're right. But what I'll tell you is right. I was super wrong about Trey Mancini, because he, he won you know the Brooks Robinson Award or, or whatever it is, the, the player of the organization in the minor leagues. And I thought to myself, well, that's like being the valedictorian of summer school, right? Like, so what? He's just right. some guy that plays first base, and he'll never come up because Chris Davis is there. I have never been so glad to be so wrong about a player. He's a special guy. I think he has a personality that's really likable. I think he has a chance to actually be beloved here. And I'm not saying he's a superstar, but sometimes those guys like Marcakis aren't necessarily you know superstars in the game's eyes, but there's some people who are just really likable, and he plays the game a certain way. You're not talking to Trey about this, but why he was overlooked as a prospect because he's hit everywhere and he hit, he's hit everywhere going back to his days in Notre Dame and through the my league system. He's hit with power and there's just always people who, who are really ready to kind of brush him aside, which I've never fully understood, but they'll tell you that he, you know, he's not like a natural athlete. Although I would tell you that he's a good athlete and a ball player, but he's not some like, you know, five eleven guy popping out of the ballpark. I mean, he's six, four and he's big and he, he's strong and he knows what he's doing at the plate. He, he can do things with a bat. You look at him, get to an outside pitch, you get to an inside pitch. I mean, Chris Davis can't do that. I'm not sure if Chris Davis could ever do that. He doesn't have the natural pop of Davis, but he can, you know, he, he looks for a pitch and he can drive it to the inside and hit it out the ballpark, or he can uh, pound one to right field. He just does things hand-eye-wise hand that, you know, are really hard to teach. So I really would, wouldn't overlook him. Uh, going back to your points about, you know, the drafting and developing of pitching prospects that have failed for so many years here, really 20 years. Uh, things have obviously turned around since 2011, 2012. And, you know, the truth is about pitching prospects is you, you get 10 of them um, and, and they're all highly valued in a hypothetical world. Maybe one or two really make it to the top of that. A couple might fill in as bullpen guys, which you need. And a couple might be marginal, you know, fifth starters or whatever it is. And then a couple won't make it at all. And that's why you need a plethora of them, especially because of injuries. And then I've always felt that, you know, when you come with age in the American League East, it's really hard to get off the ground because going to those lineups uh, in those ballparks, and it's just different. That's why I respect what the Rays have done for so long, uh, drafting and developing all these pitching prospects. But the Orioles, you know, the reason for those 14 years, it, it really is no more, no less than their inability to draft and develop players. And then for a very long time, to your point, it didn't matter if it was Hayden Penn or uh, Daniel Cabrera or, you know, an Arietta, a Britain to a certain extent, even. Uh, Brian Mattis, to me, he was the one I was most wrong about. Uh, and I mean, I can name Matt Riley, pop off 15 of these guys. Uh, and, and some did make it in other capacities. We mentioned Britain, certainly Arietta. Uh, Jim Johnson was a Jim Palmer Award winner, became a great reliever in baseball for a long time. But whether they panned out as, you know, high end starting pitchers here, only, you know, really a few of them have. And even with Dylan Bundy, you know, you think you're seeing something great happening, and maybe you are, but I'm very cautious about it as you were, you know, basically saying. So rather than talk about ghosts of the past in terms of sadness, let's talk about ghosts of present time in terms of sadness. So uh, there's been a lot of concern, at least at the beginning of the season, and a lot of Orioles fans have uh, quickly jumped off the uh, the bandwagon ship that uh, was opening day. And we've seen uh, dismal performances from the lineup, uh, the rotation, uh, the bullpen actually has been some surprising, basically not holding up its own, um, and also the defense as well. So um, out of those four, each of it has let the team down in its own fashion. Um, out of those four, what concerns you the most going forward into this 2018 season? Well, through the season, I would say if they get decent starting pitch, I think the bullpen will be fine. Michael Givens had a similar start last year. He hasn't pitched well in cold weather. Uh, Brock is Brock or Dez O'Day. Um, I actually think it'll be a good bullpen and if they can kind of get the 500 and get Zach back I mean that's kind of your hope for any sort of shot at contending this year I think um I think there's some legitimate hope with the starting rotation right now minus Chris Tillman I don't have much hope there uh, defensively they're probably not the team they once were um you know obviously losing Jonathan Scope really hurts because then you're really moving Beckham to second uh, he was just getting used to third and then you're really just trying to find a way to survive third base. Uh, you're playing Chancisco up on the plate. Uh, I think he can be okay, but you know he's no, by no means a, a frontline catcher right now, but I think he's you know on his way, but he has to do it. Uh, Mancini's you know, an average left fielder, so I'd say the defense is probably not going to be great like we saw in the first part of the, 
Showalter era here, which was such a hallmark for the team. Uh, but you don't expect mistakes either, and we've seen a few of those. I mean, offensively right now is my biggest concern. Uh, the lineup is flawed in so many ways. I'm sh- I'm shocked it's as bad as it is just because they have so many guys who can you know pound the baseball, and you would figure that you know yeah they might strike out a lot, yeah they're not going to move runners over, yeah they're not going to steal bases, and they may not have a hit for high average. But my go- goodness, with that group, you would still expect a bunch of those guys at 25 to 35 to even 40 home runs, and that's just that just isn't happening right now. So uh, you know a lot of it is magnified because it's the beginning of the year, but uh, you know Scope got hurt. I'm sure he was going to bust out at some point. You don't really worry about him, uh, but but there are gaps in this lineup right now, guys. I mean, uh, I mean Chris Davis is really hurting them, but Tim Beckham's not hitting. You know, Caleb Joseph is pretty much a starting catcher, and he was hitting oh something. You know, one twenty. You have multiple guys in this lineup who are hitting below one fifty, and they're actually walking a bit more this year. But it doesn't matter because they lead planet Earth in strikeouts, and, and they're not hitting out of the ballpark even. Absolutely. Now let's shift a little bit to the to the rotation. I was delighted to see Alex Cobb get signed. I wasn't expecting it, you know, especially so late. And what it did not only did it did it you know provide Alex Cobb, but it also made the Andrew Kashner signing more meaningful. And I thought to myself, okay, well we can cobble together a rotation in which Chris Tillman is your number five. I mean, Chris Tillman, bounce back right. candidate, is your number five. But now let's look at Chris Tillman, all right? How long is the leash with Tillman, the way he's pitching now, and what is the plan B? Is it is it back to Mike Wright? I don't know the plan B. It could be Wright. It, I, I hate saying this, but it's possible it could be Richard Blyer. Not that I don't think Blyer could be good at it, but what a force he is in the bullpen right now. I think they're trying to buy their time to when Hunter Harvey's ready. And by the way, there are a few other prospects behind Hunter that are intriguing, Keegan Aiken, you know, if Sedlock can get it together, uh, maybe even David Hess. Uh, so there are some guys, but I think they feel their best pitching depth right now is probably more high A to double A and not necessarily knocking on the door in 2018. I think they're hoping to get through the year with Tillman. Uh, but I have to think, I mean, it's just a matter of how serious of a contending club they think they are. Uh, you know, you have, you, have a, you have a manager and general manager who are uh, right now lame ducks. So the leash is very short, and that's why they gave – I mean, you can cut bait on a $3 million deal. Right now, they're going to, I think, skip him in, in one turn through, and maybe he gets April. Maybe. I mean, if he shows marked improvement, he'll get a couple more. But he is, I think, at the end. I think you heard that in Buck's voice in Boston. I mean, what a horrible way to start a big – road trip and what was supposed to be 17 consecutive days of playing you win a game you have a day off your bullpen finally gets back on track and you know it's also hard to judge the bullpen when you have so many starts that go you know to the third inning uh but you finally get your bullpen back on track a big series against a hot red sox team and your guy doesn't get down in the third inning i'm sorry that is the ultimate buzzkill all right well brett Look, the the auras are all interesting. That's really the focus of the show. But enough about them. Let's talk about you. Uh, first <laughs> of all, I, I don't know what the chances are, but I, I just want to congratulate you for being named the host of the Brett Hollander Show. I mean, that's fantastic. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, the gods really uh, shined down on, on me that day when when they came up with a title like that, a creative title like that for the show. In, in all seriousness, congrats to moving to the afternoon Thank slot and, and having a chance to expand the focus beyond Baltimore sports. I, I'd like to yeah. ask, what can we expect from the new afternoon show? Yeah, I think we're going to do uh, sports to be a part of it, and, and I'm still going to be a big part of our Ravens coverage and, you know, big and, and baseball's going to be a part of it when I, when it can be. And, and I, I as well have started a podcast where sports will be a big part of that. Um, and certainly major events, but it's a Baltimore centric show. So the matters in town, sports or otherwise, it will be a part of it, but the focus will be more uh, general talk, uh, news and politics, issues of the day. And it's, it's subjects that have always interested me. Uh, sports is definitely my first love, but I've always, I was a political science major in college, and I've always felt that my show stretched beyond just the basic, you know, questions of the bullpen and and Raven's offensive line issues and things like that. So it's an opportunity to kind of branch out and uh, I think uh, test myself a little bit. And I think we're off to a good start about eight shows in and I feel pretty good about where we are and where I see this going. But I think it's an opportunity on a couple levels. One, uh, to, to try something else and to stretch myself and also uh, just uh, from an hour's perspective, 
uh, it, it's it's a major step forward for me and, and my family, and, and that's really important as well. But I'm very excited about uh, the subject matter and, and getting to the issues of the day. And you know, I think I can take a different look at politics and news, and uh, I can be as cynical as anyone, but I think I'm kind of over the world is ending every day mentality, and, and I think that uh, I'm sick of this pick-a-lane politics, and I think there's a lot of uh, big places to go in the middle that I think a lot of people are desperate for. So that's kind of my overall mentality. I was really actually very interested in that exact point because I watched the welcome video that you put together, you know, kind of to introduce yourself to the yeah. to the daytime listeners, so to speak. And you said that you wanted to focus on a message that maybe we don't hear so much in uh, portrayed in the media on a daily basis, that things are really not as bad as they seem. Um, and, and I think that you're right that most people uh, it's funny because most people say that they want to gravitate towards the middle. And yet, you know, with our with our wallets and our views and our consumerism, we go just the complete opposite way. Yeah. Why do you think it is that we don't have enough messages like that in media? And and how do you think that you can, you know, shape the conversation back to a sane middle? Well, I think a couple of things. One is that we are really polarized right now for a number of reasons. And it's not that new, but we are very polarized. I think it has definitely amped up in recent years. I think a lot of it is social media, internet-based, and what we've learned about Facebook and Twitter and things like that, that you know these entities know how you think and what you will like on Facebook or see in a Twitter timeline, and you kind of just go, you kind of gravitate towards what you'll agree with instead of kind of stretching yourself towards an opposing view or another thought process. And then in the way the cable news system works, it is really, they believe at least the most ratings friendly to be really hard on one side. And everyone thinks that when they're on one side, they're the right side and the other side's crazy. But, you know, I look at a lot of issues and I think there's a lot of compromise to be found. I like calling out hypocrisy on both sides and I like calling out extremes on both sides and to call it the big rational middle. But, you know, you're right. It isn't most people, uh, even if they say they want to find some semblance of, of something in the middle, uh, you know, they tend to gravitate towards uh, whatever side they're on, especially when it comes to national politics, I feel. I do find on the local and state level, there's a lot more sensibility. Uh, and that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time. And the other thing is, and I think you guys can appreciate this, uh, when I go out with my friends, it is not always uh, Trump, Trump, Trump all the time. We're asking questions like, societal changes that have happened, whether it's dating the workplace and for my single friends, they really are asking things like, am I allowed to ask a girl out on a date who I work with anymore? And I don't know what the answer is to that. And things like where are the jobs going to be for our kids in 20 or 30 years? How the hell are we going to pay for college? These are the questions that I think most Americans in their thirties and forties and even early fifties are asking themselves uh, I think there's a lot of people uh, who run uh, cable news networks that want you to think that it's always Trump all the time. But I just don't think it's the reality. Yeah, I mean, I think that resonates with a lot of folks in the in the Baltimore uh, community in the given region in terms of this whole aspect of it's not just as simplistic as a Trump um, versus a Clinton in terms of liberal versus conservative. Right. It, it comes back to that aspect of, and I hate to put this cliche on Baltimore, but it really truly is this, where it's that it's this hard hat mentality where it's the, I'm going to go in and basically do my work that I need to do. I may have that cynical, sarcastic attitude, just like we do to our local sports teams, but the day in, I'm basically just trying to look out for my family and trying to right. make an impact on my day and day day operations both for my family, but also for my friends and my neighbors around me too. So, so I guess Brett, you know, with this avenue and this, you know, uh, new show and trying to promote that aspect of community and continuity within the region, um, what message or examples are you going to want to share or send um, to your fellow Baltimoreans um, in the next few months? Well, I mean, I think I am about as authentically local as you can get, and. I care deeply about Baltimore and the overall uh, metropolitan area and, and the state of Maryland. I'm a proud Marylander. Uh, I, I'm a city resident and have been virtually my entire life. And I, uh, you know, my, my hope is always the same that, you know, I'm the biggest fan of Baltimore. I want things to always get better. Whomever's in power, I want them to make the right decisions and win. 
Now, I'm a realist, and I get frustrated when I think things are not uh, being governed correctly and our focus is off. Uh, but I, I think that uh, you know I, I want to try and create a place where we can have an open and honest dialogue and hopefully not a non-name-calling discourse about issues. But I certainly will not hesitate, and I, you know, I have a lot of opposing views on. I will certainly not hesitate uh, to uh, try and you know force our politicians and our leaders to enact policy that I think is best for uh, the community, whether it's uh, cities uh, or anywhere, any jurisdiction in the state. And, and I think that's where. And we're going to bring up issues that are, you know, fascinating, I think, and interesting and some off the beaten path. I like to say that, you know, we're going to be a place where we're going to try and talk about things that you really can't get anywhere else. And and it might just be overlooked, uh, you know, by by any other outlet just because of, you know, that's just not what they offer and and timing and everything else. But there there are things that we're going to, you know, try and get into. I really feel that, you know, we often, you know, don't talk enough parenting issues uh, in, in, in the medium of radio or pods or, uh, anything like that. And, and, you know, those are people when I'm on the air that are out about driving and, uh, you know, I, it's very relatable for me at this point in my life. It's something I wouldn't have talked about before I became a parent, but you know, there are a lot of tough issues that I think a lot of us can relate to. And it'd be nice if we had some kind uh, some sort of discussions together about some of these really tough things. Well, Brett, having listened to you for for several years now, I, I can only tell you that you know you moving onto this show and being able to you know kind of expand your voice is a great example of good things happening to one of the good guys. So all the best I to you. I appreciate that. But having just buttered you up, listen, I have to ask you the most important question, and it is yeah. upon this that we will judge you, and and please, we will <laughs> judge you. So please brace yourself. The question to you is this: Beatles or Stones? Ooh. I'm a Beatles guy over the Stones, not by much, but I'm 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 in a, I'm in the Beatles column. All right, Brett, you passed the test. <laughs> Brett Hollander, thank oh, you so much that. for joining us. Everyone who listens to this show should turn this off and immediately go find Brett on the radio. It's one it's one p.m. Correct? It is one to three p.m. And also find the Brett Hollander Show podcast available everywhere you find podcasts. And uh, I'm I'm just starting out off in that realm, but I thought I'd join the cool guy group. And oh, Brett, you're going to put us out of business. What are you doing? There. What are you doing? You're going to put us hey, out of business. Where hey, where can we find you on Twitter? Hey, hey. Uh, at Brett Hollander on Twitter, and and just uh, the podcast is going to be the radio show daily, but also some fresh content every day, which could be anything from uh, talking Orioles to movie reviews to uh, expanded interviews. So uh, find me there as well. I appreciate it, guys. Absolutely, Brett. Thanks for doing it. You know what that music means, Scott. This podcast will be Tony Danzelis. That's right. I won Fantasy Boss this week because every blind squirrel occasionally finds a nut. We picked, well, I picked strikeouts. Uh, I I picked uh, Andrew Kashner, who tossed six. You picked uh, Darren O'Day, who got one. But I think both of us are losers because we missed the obvious choice, which, of course, is Dylan Bundy. That was poorly selected on both of our counts but that does bring the contest to two and one in scott's favor so scotty you are picking the category this week do your worst Uh, i think we're going to go with expected woba so this isn't just regular woba this is expected woba expected how how does one calculate expected woba expected woba is calculated in the fashion of looking at exit velocity and or launch angle and making the determination of whether something should be a hit or not. So, no for Chris Davis. Uh, Chris Davis is is not doing so well this season uh, <laughs> for expected WOBA. Uh, so, I would not recommend expected WOBA being uh, Chris Davis. Okay, I should also not pick Jonathan Scope. Uh, Jonathan Scope is probably a bad idea this week. Caleb right. Joseph also would be a bad choice. <laughs> I have uh, three players okay. lined up, and I'm going to pick one. Okay. 
I, I hope you'll pick the other. Okay. And then I'd like to talk about my third choice, and we'll, we'll just see whether or not I, I understand this sure. category. Uh, I am going to select Manny Machado. Okay. And I think that's a great choice. I think that comes back down to Manny Machado has the potential to have um, some of the best exit velocity out there, has the potential to have some really nice launch angles, and um, in, in all reality, should be the best header on this team. Even if the BABIP isn't there, right? the, the expect- ex-WOBA might be. Right. Okay. But I'm going to take it from the professional, and I'm going to listen to Brett Hollander, and I'm going to go ahead and say Trey Mancini right now has been absolutely doing great at the plate, um, and I think he's been showing some great plate discipline and making some really nice contact with the ball. So I'm going to go with Trey Mancini as my ex-WOBA and leave it up to the professional with Brett Hollander making this call. I'm delighted to hear you say that because that was, that was the other guy I was yeah. talking about. Let me, let me talk about the third guy, and you can tell me if I'm an idiot. Yeah. Or not. I was very tempted. Yeah. To go with Pedro Alvarez. That's a great call. So I actually had the numbers up so far this season. Pedro Alvarez actually leads the team right now with a 480 expected WOBA. Trey Mancini is number two with a 395 expected WOBA. And Manny Machado has a 375 expected WOBA uh, to be number third. Do you have any guess who number four may be? Adam Jones? Adam Jones is number five. Okay. Uh, Please tell me it's not Craig Gentry. It is not Craig Gentry. Craig Cisco? Gentry is eight. Uh, Cisco is seven. No, I have no idea. Uh, number four is Danny Valencia. <laughs> and just to point out how bad things really are, Chris Davis is number six right now with ex- expected WOBA. So here's the weird thing about expected WOBA. It, it's kind of a, a formula for the eye test. Yeah. yeah. Who's hitting the ball hard and you know should be doing well? Sure, absolutely. And it comes back and it's, it's more of an aspect of looking also at the um, – ability to say well let's just not look at BABIP let's also look at the whole aspect of how um this individual is actually hitting is he topping the ball is he grounding it into the ground um and again looking at that ability to really again use exit velocity and launch angle to more accurately predict whether something is actually going to be a hit or not so i guess that just uh leaves us with wondering scotty with expected woba who will own it And with that, let's go ahead and find out who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly this past week. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly, where we pick out something good that happened this week in Baltimore Orioles baseball, um, and we'll pick out a bunch of bads and uglies, too. So, Jake, why don't you go ahead and lead us off this week with your good for the week for Baltimore Orioles? I swear, I picked all of this before our discussion tonight, uh, but I'm going to go with Trey Mancini as my good, because he finally broke out. He was the hard luck guy for most of the season, but he finally broke through. And the thing is, is that his BABIP was the thing that I that I hit on. He was incredibly unlucky. The luck dragon was just beaten down. His BABIP was up to 450 in this past week. And so everything else good has happened for him. Of course, is it a 151 weighted runs created plus? Um, you know, his average is up, obviously. Here's the thing. He's doing all that without much of an ISO, right? So he's not hitting the ball for power, but he is hitting the ball consistently he had a great week and uh finally you know he is good for this week all right so my good for the week is going to go to dylan bundy obvious selection um again pitched 12 and two-thirds innings this week 11.37 case per nine 2.84 walks per nine uh gave up a meager 2.13 era 2.50 fip and a 3.03 xfip and had promptly had two losses due to this womp womp but i mean dylan bundy absolutely is dominating out there Right now, in terms of all Major League Baseball, he is tied uh, right now with Max Scherzer and Chris Sale for F-War for all Major League Baseball. Uh, Dylan Bundy is pitching um, like a top 10 uh, starter right now. Uh, We will see if that trend can continue. I know the ace word was thrown out earlier today, uh, but Dylan Bundy certainly is dominating out there. Um, I will say his home run to fly ball ratio is... um, very meager at only 3.7%. So you would think that's going to come back and bite him eventually. Um, but I do like what I'm seeing from Dylan Bundy, mainly in the 
K rate factor um, more so than anything else. So Dylan Bundy has been good, and I hope he continues to be good. You talk about him in comparison with Chris Sale, and I'll just say this. He can be trusted with scissors, and I appreciate that about him. Yeah, and sleeves. <laughs> My bad this week is going to go to Alex Cobb. Now, look, I'm not going to overreact here about one start, but that was not a good Orioles debut, all right? For a team that needed to bolster its starting rotation, it needed a shot in the arm, that was bad. Alex Cobb, you were our only hope. And he let us down. Not to mention, he made us look really stupid last week with going through this whole aspect of like, hey, Alex Cobb is starting. You know, it can't be as bad as it was last year. The whole team made us look bad this week. It, it, they did. We, we went really hard on the positive. We, we, we tried so hard. Yeah. And they paid us back in major yeah, karma. They weren't going to let that happen. No. Uh, my bad for the week, of course, is going to be infield defense. Um, it was atrocious, especially during the Boston series. Um Scope going out um, for an extended amount of period of time. We're going to see some really ugly baseball. And I think it also emphasizes, again, how little depth that is, there is in the Orioles organization. Yes, we talked to Brett Hollander about um, some of the players out uh, there, Brett ha- in terms of Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, but neither one of those is going to be able to play an infield. Um, and I think this is what concerns you the most with Manny Machado potentially leaving next year is, yes, there are prospects out there, but there's no one that is in the wings waiting to replace Manny Machado. Um, and that just seems like a massive hole um, that the Orioles can fill. With Scope going out at second base, it's the same thing, which is, all right, so we're going to shuffle the t- the chairs on the Titanic and try to make do with what's going on here. But we have no one that is able to play a serviceable third base, shortstop, or second base in order to basically put this back in. Um, I know Velma has been of conversation of potentially getting more starts. Um I, I've heard a few people rally again and say this is why we should have gone and signed Ryan Flaherty when we had the chance to. Um, Jake, I ask you this. Where's J.J. Hardy? Yeah, that's where, a good question. Where, where is J.J. Hardy? What's Chris Gomez doing these days? Yeah, I mean, is it outlandish, though, to say the Orioles should just go get J.J. Hardy and say we need you to come back for, you know, 15 days and help out the team and play shortstop? Well, I think it it depends on what you mean by outlandish. Like, is it totally insane? Yes. Yes. Is it likely to end poorly? Yes. Uh, is it, it, what's the worst that could happen if Buck Showalter went, like, to, went, went to Manny Machado and said, Manny, I need you to go to third base for 15 days. I mean, what's he going to do? Uh, he's going to leave the team. But all those things are bad. But, Scott, we're not asking the most important what question. What happens if we leave my shortstop? He's going to leave the team. Will it make us feel good? When his name gets called by Ryan Wagner. I know one fan that'll make very happy. One fan indeed. Nothing else is going to make us feel good, so no. it's not the worst idea right. that's out there. All right, let me go to my ugly. Sure. Um, you know, looking at the offensive performance is just, you know, it's mind-boggling. Let me just start at the bottom here. Let me let me uh, look at weighted runs created plus and see. Oh, all right. My ugly for this week clearly has to be Caleb Joseph at negative 41. Re- no. No. No, my ugly has to be Adam Jones, the cap 10 team leader, offensive juggernaut, also at a paltry negative 41 weighted runs created plus. Not a good week from Adam Jones, and we need him. When everybody else is on the suck train, Adam Jones has to lead this club into a more inspired performance. And so for having an off week when everyone else has had an off week, Adam Jones is my ugly. Jake, there's only one true ugly this week, and it's got to go to Chris Tillman, right? I'm so glad it wasn't me this week. Chris Tillman has absolutely been abysmal this past week, hosting an awful 27 ERA, 14.06 FIP, and a 10.8 XFIP. No strikeouts in the two innings that he posted, uh, a nine walks per nine inning. And let's just go off. I mean, that was one game this week. You know, maybe it's an ab- it's an aberration Similar to the Alex Cobb situation, but, you know, in the three games that he has started this season, he has an 11.91 ERA, a 7.73 FIP, and a 7.84 XFIP. As much as we came into the season and said, there's no chance Chris Tillman can be worse than he was last season, Chris Tillman's worse than he was last season. So you're saying there's a chance. So I'm saying there's a chance. So, Jake, I don't know how long the Orioles can allow this to go on. Um, but the Orioles need to make a move. And I think I was surprised that they didn't make the move immediately after the last Chris Tillman start. I think Chris has one more start, just like Brett referred to. Uh, I think if that doesn't happen, 
I think we're looking at either another Mike Wright start, or I do think that we're lining up based off of how the bullpen was used um, in the Fenway series, where I do think we're going to see the Miguel Castro experience, and we're going to see what actually transpires when that occurs. So let me ask you this. How crazy would it be to bring back J.J. Hardy to pitch? Um, You know, if Bartolo Colon is pitching out there right now, uh, I, I bet J.J. Hardy could probably do it, too. I really wish the Orioles had gone out and gotten Bartolo Colon, just for the entertainment factor. Just for the entertainment factor? I mean, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying, um, but mm, 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 mm. it's very frustrating to look at the Baltimore Orioles right now. And we said last year, like, hey, you know, the starters can't be as bad as they were last year. And you're absolutely right. They're not as bad as they were last year. Last year, they were 5.70 ERA. This year, they're posting an impressive 5.33 ERA. So again... Progress. Progress. But that progress is all Dylan Bundy. The rest of the four pitchers are pretty much exactly the same as they were last year. So the only person that is standing out as being a difference maker so far in the 2018 season has been Dylan Bundy. A 5.33 ERA, it's not going to get it done. Um, and, and you look at the numbers in terms of the BABIP is at 331, which is a little high. Um the home runs per fly ball is at 14.47, which is not outlandish for being in the AL East. Um, and, and But the ground ball rate is at 37.1. There's a lot of fly balls going on. And you know who's primarily to blame for that right now? That would be Chris Tillman. Chris Tillman needs to be off this roster as soon as possible. Chris Tillman, you are ugly. I appreciate everything good that you've done for the Baltimore Orioles uh, since you were traded here. Past tense. Um, but it's not happening anymore. You have reached the precipice. Um, it is time for you to walk into the sunset and disappear. Is it time to put him on an ice flow? It is time to put him on an ice flow, uh, strap a rocket to him, and shoot him into the sun. Nice. He's getting a combo Wade Miley, Brian Mattis treatment. Absolutely. I love it. All right. You want to go ahead and blow the save? Let's do it. Scott, if there's one thing we're about here in this podcast, it's about good beer. Yep. If there's two things that we're about on this podcast, it's good beer and baseball. But if there are three things that we're about on this podcast, it's accountability. Okay. And it's time for some serious accountability right now. Scott, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was watching a game. I was frustrated, and I had my phone, and so my thumbs did a thing where I got all snotty, and I put something out there, and I just want to read it to you, Okay. It's just a reminder, the team that accepted Jake Fox at catcher and Steve Pierce at second base didn't think they needed to replace uh, an outgoing utility infielder with, you know, an outgoing utility infielder. When plays like that happen, and this was a reference to Danny Valencia booting the ball at second base, they are who we thought they were. Scott, I could not have been more wrong. All right, I didn't do my homework. I tried to be witty, and instead I forgot that the Orioles brought up an, a certain Engelb Vielma, as you mentioned, a utility infielder who's appeared at second base and shortstop. So, Scott, I tried to be witty, and I failed. And I did so because I couldn't see past the terrible that was Danny Valencia at second base. Is there actually another utility infielder besides Ryan Flaherty? I don't know. I don't think there is. I think... Egma Velma is a figment of our imagination. He's even wearing number 12. That's like the stand-in for meaningless infielder. Yeah, I, I think that if you went up, and this is the Richard Blyer argument that I made last year, <laughs> I think if you went up to a thousand Baltimoreans and you said, I need you to pick out this individual out of this, you know, this lineup, uh, no more than two people could pick this person out. Uh, so you're telling me that this is Dick Vielma? Uh, this is Dick Velma. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I Look, I don't think that the Orioles necessarily needed to go back out and get Ryan Flaherty. I'm not beating the Ryan Flaherty drum. No, they should have got J.J. Hardy. We just already covered this. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded seeing Ryan Flaherty back, but I do think that they need some utility infielder. And the skills – I brought up Chris Gomez previously as a joke, but the thing about Chris Gomez is he could play all four infield positions plus the corners, which is the same, same thing Flaherty can do. You need a guy like that. Sure. And uh, I hope that – they have that in good old Engelb. Oh, well, I, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I also hear this aspect of um, it would be really nice to have someone that could play second base and or third base. 
if only there was a player at the very end of the season that we could have picked up uh, for about $5 million who has a 348 on on-base percentage. Ah, oh, well, we don't really need a player like that. Let's go ahead and let the Yankees pick him up. Yikes. Yeah, Neil Walker would not be nice right here. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so this is all about ac- accountability, Scott. Scott, I will not try to be funny again on Twitter. It won't happen again. I will do my research no matter what I'm doing when the game is on. You're trying to be funny on Twitter? No, it's not happening. Okay. And with that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Birdseyeview is available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others. Also, check out the Brett Hollander show there. Uh, Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. We love meeting new people and talking Orioles baseball with other diehard fans. Email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also find us at scott at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com and jake at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at bird's eye view b-a-l and with that baltimore and beyond i will bid you all a fond adieu adieu good night baltimore be safe out there and let's go o's seriously let's go you know what i think we ought to do i think we yell at matt taylor some more yes i think we ought to start asking guests what their favorite podcasts are Mm. so that you know in addition to stopping listening to us to go listen to our guests you know they have some other recommendations they're gonna be what's a podcast (laughs) Beatles and Stones and what is better than us. Right. I think I think it might work. Alright, we'll try it. Probably just say Orioles Spastics. Baltimoreans. You still here? It's over. Go home. Go.